it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, thanks to Cry Malt on Beer as a Conversation, we crossed the Tasman to talk beer and the brewing industry with Sabrina Kuntz, the Executive Director of the Brewers Guild of New Zealand. I'm always struck by how, for the many similarities between the Australian and New Zealand industries, also how many differences exist, not least of which is the approach that the respective brewers associations have taken to membership. Sabrina and I talk about this, and there's always a whole lot more in this interesting conversation about the role of industry associations and the future of the brewing industry. I started by asking how she got started with the Brewers Guild of New Zealand. So I uh, started with the Brewers Guild in 2018, um, so two and a bit years ago now, and uh, I came to the to the industry by applying for the job, sort of out, completely outside of industry. I hadn't worked in beer before, but I had worked a bit in sort of cooperative style organisations. I'd spent quite a bit of time um, volunteering in rugby league. Um, and, and you're a lawyer by background as I'm well. a lawyer by yep. background. Um, I, I was originally a lawyer back in Australia, um, lived in Canada, worked in government, uh, worked in government a little bit in New Zealand, uh, spent time in rugby league, working in various voluntary organisations. And so when I saw this job, I mean, I was a beer drinker, um, probably not a beer um, a beer geek by any means. So I certainly had no views on um, a lot of the issues that I now have views on. Um, and I came to the role because I thought um, that the organisation was at a stage where I could really make a difference. Um, and you know, thankfully the board at the time and um, thought that I was the right fit um, and in fairness to them took a bit of a chance on a young Australian woman to lead up um, an organisation that was 13 years old and, and looking to go the next level um, and I've loved every minute of it. But it's, I, mean, I, I tend to think of it that to run a brewery, for example, you need a brewer, you need someone who knows beer and how to make it, but there's a whole range of ancillary skills yeah. that you actually need to drive that business forward. Absolutely. So you don't need to be, and sometimes in this industry particularly, it can be a breath of fresh air to come from outside of the bubble. Absolutely. I mean, I remember my interview question was, what is craft beer in the New Zealand context? Um and define it. And I went back to them with a very classic MBA answer and said, well, it depends. Um, because I think it's one of those rabbit holes that you can go down and it really depends the context of the question. And I am also not really sure that it matters that much for the purposes of what the organisation was trying to achieve. Um, Great answer. Do you want to write for us? <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to put together this, this PowerPoint. I remember it distinctly because I was freaking out thinking I'd said the wrong thing. Um, but turns out um, that's sort of where the organisation, the Brewers Guild was at at the time they hired me. So sort of the history of the Brewers Guild, we're 15 years this year, which is really exciting. Um, and 15 years ago, a collective of um, some of the more well-known brewers um, that you might have heard, Richard Emerson from Emerson's, Ralph Bungard from Three Boys, um, to name a few, David Cryer, I believe, was involved from Cryer Malt. Um, got together and said, we need a collective, we need a group that is going to work together 
And it was around all of the things that you see industry bodies do. We need to talk to government with a collective voice. Uh, we need to support each other in terms of um, access to materials, etc. And so um, they formed the Brewers Guild. And so when I came along, the Guild had been on sort of a five or six year journey um, in terms of what do we want to be and who do we want to be. Um, but really importantly are we going to put some money down to hire some staff so that we can do more than run the New Zealand Beer Awards, so that we can do all of these things that we set out to do 13 years ago? Um, and it was a bit of a transition process by which essentially they put it to the membership, um, put in new fee structure, um, and it was if people paid a certain amount of money in and we hit our goal, our threshold goal, then that would be the members have voted with their wallets and we're going to take this new path. Um, and the members did do that. Um, and so as a result, they were able to hire a person. Um, I'm the person. Um, and so we sort of shifted from being really a volunteer run and led organisation with part-time staff to a much more sort of professional organisation with a full-time staff person and so that just took place in 2018 um, I came on board. And tell us so you've given us the history of the the, the Brewers Guild because in Australia we've got the Brewers Association yes, which is certainly. the um, Coopers, Lion yep. and CUB now and I um, think is DB? Yeah, that's Heineken. Heineken. Um, and then as a result, we've also seen what is now the Independent Brewers Association. Yeah. New Zealand only has the one association. Yes, we do. well, we do and we don't. So certainly we have the, um, the Brewers Guild and our members range from um, Lion and DB, um, who are obviously f- have foreign... Per- parents um, and then down through um, all of our medium-sized organisations to the really small um, and independents at various sizes. Um, but we also have the Brewers Association in New Zealand that is exclusively Lion and DB. So, um, oh, you do? Okay, so you run in parallel So as we well. run in parallel. Um, Asahi have uh, been members of the Brewers Guild for many years. They were independent previously in New Zealand and were not a member of the Brewers Association, so a slightly different structure to here in New Zealand. And definitely um, prior to me coming on board, once I've come on board, there is still often a call for and the question of should there be an independent association um, that only supports independent brewers. Um, And... That's not the route the Guild has gone down and so far we seem to be holding together um, as a collective and I think that's serving us well at the moment. What are the pros and cons of of the two? Obviously, you know, having the resources that come with having the big breweries as part of the association is, is a positive. What are the other positives that come with having, you know, the, the major breweries involved in an association? So I think, I mean, I don't think we can underestimate the contribution of resources. So um, when we sit down and look at our financials, the largest two breweries and their sub-brands contribute close to 40% of our total annual revenue. Uh, And so we wouldn't be able to operate as an organisation even with one um, full-time staff member but for those financial contributions because certainly we know that independent breweries don't have a lot of cash to throw around (laughs) to support the activities. So all of those things that we do, um, government relations, providing support around quality guidance, um, 
sort of any of the other ancillary things that we know smaller breweries need, they simply couldn't afford without at, at the level necessary to make a change. So I think we can't underscore the resources. And the other place the resources, frankly, are helpful um, is that I work very closely with the um, executive director of the Brewers Association. Um, and so when we're thinking about responding to government, we share information. Often the data that they are able to acquire is better than the data that I'm able to acquire. But you could do that without having them in the Brewers Guild. Absolutely, we certainly could. Um, but it would be likely that the independent organisation would be volunteer run and led. Um, so so that takes us back to the position we were in three several years ago where you have volunteer board members who are running their own breweries, running their own businesses, trying to stay on top of legislative change, for example, or trying to put together training courses. And often it's not their skill set. And often it's not their skill set. Um, and so certainly, you know, there are pros and cons. Um, we also... Uh, there is a strong movement to support independent in New Zealand um, <laughs> and you've seen that play out in, um, if anybody's a member of the group Saving, um, put up by Andrew um, Childs from Behemoth, Saving the World Through Couch Beers. You've seen some of the interesting discussions. I haven't. I'm just going to sign up to that right now. It's a very, um, he put it together um, sort of a spur of a moment uh, at the start of COVID and it's now one of the largest um, craft beer groups in New Zealand but it's got people from all over the world and there's been a very interesting discussion about <laughs> um, ongoing discussion between independent and not. Um, I definitely also think that, you know, a lot of breweries are now entering the marketplace at a time when they know the existing structure. Um, so... We know who owns the taps in New Zealand and what that looks like, and and you're. I am listening. I'm just signing up to a <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> to, no, saving the world with catch beers. To... Um, so so you so so you're entering a um, a fairly crowded uh, marketplace, um, and you're doing that with your eyes wide open. Uh, and I think um, in New Zealand, anyway, the large breweries understand the benefits that small independent craft beer and breweries and brewing brands bring to the landscape because they bring the ingenuity, the excitement, and they're often bringing new customers to beer um, that the large guys really want to be participating as well. So, But there's always going to be that tension with independence, and, and we've seen it here that, you know, and it's, we often hear it, that the, the big brewers, um, you know, love the diversity and vitality that, yep. that the craft brewers bring. To a point. Absolutely, <laughs> to know? a point. Um, and, and, and we saw it recently where Stone and Wood has suddenly been designated as being big enough to target yep. under tap contracts because, sure, they're exciting, but we don't want them to get too exciting. Yeah. And so I think from an organisation standpoint, A, tension and diversity is always good. I mean, we know this from a business performance perspective. Diversity at a board table <laughs> leads to better performance and results. So um, when I started, we made sure that our... Um, the way that our board is structured is reflective of our market. So we actively target having um, representation across small, medium and large breweries. And so notwithstanding any funding, um, there is still only one vote at the board table. So um, the tension exists, but it doesn't cause the organisation to drift in any one direction. It also means that no single organisation um, is running 
the Brewers Guild of New Zealand, which is really important. And, and I picked up when you said your definition of craft beer. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it depends on the context. Yes. And I, I guess the same is very true about how you convene an association depends very much on what you want to achieve with that association. Absolutely. So if you want to market a subset of the bigger beer, then independence is as good as anything. Absolutely. And I think the other challenge, and certainly a conversation that I've had ongoing, um, and it may be different here in the Australian market, but somewhere along the line, I think we confused independence for quality. Mm. And um, independence doesn't necessarily mean quality. We know that Lion and DB, with some of their manufacturing, make cracking beers. They make good quality, consistent beers. We also know... And they very rarely explode. And they rarely explode. And we also know that a bunch of our really skilled brewers who now run and own independent breweries in New Zealand were trained by Lion and DB. They, Lion and DB have done massive um, amounts of work in terms of creating a skilled workforce in New Zealand that frankly wouldn't exist without it. It's only been the last couple of years that we've had a TAFE course or any kind of formalised training beyond the um, IBD. So, you know, I don't think we can discredit that. And so when we talk about large breweries, I also think we've got to talk about the people in them. You know, we we are a um, 2,500-sized workforce in New Zealand, minimum 2,500 people we employ in the beer industry. And a lot of those people shift between independent and not. Um, And so when we sort of talk about that we've got to think about the humans behind it as well understandably one of the issues is profits and where it goes and investment back into community but certainly on a day-to-day basis the people you're interacting with um, you know may very well may have had 25 years worth of training at Heineken yeah I, I guess the other side to to the whole question of independence is there are a lot of breweries at the smaller end of the market that see the big brewers as their competition or as their enemy, um, for want of a better word. So does the Brewers Guild's approach mean that you've had a harder sell to get some of the the, the long tail of independent brewers engaged in seeing the value in an association? Absolutely. I would say that's an ongoing challenge and particularly depending on where those brewers have come from. Like I said, the the market today compared to when the Brewers Guild started 15 years ago, it's it's an incredibly competitive marketplace now. So if you're starting a brewery in today's marketplace, you know it's competitive. Um, And so coming in and saying, well, Lion and DB shouldn't exist is not going to give you a good business model. You have to find your own place to play in that. And um, it does make it a bigger challenge for the Brewers Guild to... Um, demonstrate our value or make our case to some of those smaller breweries. On the other hand, for some of them, it makes no difference at all um, because what they see the value in is some of the other activities that we're undertaking. And one small example of that, um, and I know that we'll probably have a whole conversation around this, but is our focus on beer tourism. And we have really focused on beer tourism as an organisation for the last three years um, because it benefits everyone and um, it benefits organisations of all sizes because we know that in this um, day and age one of the successful business models is the brew pub or the tap room um, for the very little guys um, but also for the medium-sized brewers and the large breweries Um, and so our focus on beer tourism means that your location wherever you are gets support through the activities that we're undertaking in a regional centre or in a central in the middle of town 
Um, and so that's quite a unifying project for us. And certainly we've seen very small breweries um, appreciate that and understand the work that we're doing in that space. And uh, Absolutely. Beer tourism is a, is a great topic for us to, to move on to because, you know, I'd, I'm really disappointed that we don't see more focus um, on a state government level and on a federal government level and even on an industry level to support tourism because uh, quite apart from having the business benefits of getting more people in tap rooms and exposing them to craft beer, I can't think of a better advocacy initiative um, because you know wineries that gets a lot of attention the wineries are only where the grapes are grown. Absolutely. Breweries can exist in every electorate in, in, in the country Absolutely. and become such a huge lobbying and advocacy body for the beer industry yep. by engaging on, on that level. Absolutely. So I started with the Guild, um, I think my first conference was September 2018. So I'd been in the role about six months. And earlier that year, I had been to the IBA conference in Sydney and I... Um, chatted with and heard Dave from Dave Beer Tours in Sydney speak and I begged him to come to New Zealand and speak to our group um, and talk to our brewers about beer tourism because I had moved here from um, the Pacific Northwest, from Vancouver, uh, and spent a lot of time doing beer tourism-related activities in the Pacific Northwest. Um, there was a beautiful um, BC Ale Trail. I'd spent time in Portland uh, and I couldn't believe that it wasn't a thing. Um, and so I know that's a really simple statement, but that's on all of our current documentation. Beer tourism is a thing. Um, and so we really started quite slowly with with making some, um, getting our membership to understand that beer tourism as a collective um, was something that needed to happen. And each of them were doing little pockets of it, but it was the idea that there was a coordinated strategy, that there was a central place to go and that we were really thinking about regionalisation. So we were thinking about what makes you different. If all six of you started breweries in your garage, what makes you different? At the same time, we the Brewers Guild started to focus on beer tourism Brewbus started in New, Ze- in New Zealand and they started at almost the exact same time because they saw the same hole in the market that hadn't, that hadn't been filled. So um, the Guild have been pushing into beer tourism and supporting our members to do the same as has Brewbus been growing. And so certainly what that's meant for us in terms of um, speaking with government is we're trying to do really basic things. Change every regional website Uh, regional government website promoting tourism from the button that you click on that says food and wine to say food and beverage i mean that's i'm stifling a scream it drives me mental and i keep saying from a user experience nobody is clicking on food and wine to find a beer experience so you are removing that market completely and as you said we've got some really strong wine growing regions in new zealand But we have over 220 breweries or brewing brands. We exist in every city and every regional town. And when we think about a regional focus for New Zealand economic development, the fact that we are not promoting our small breweries is, it's criminal. So we need, you know, basic, we've asked government this year for really basic things fix the click button from food and wine <laughs> and to food. that's not hard, yeah. That's not hard. Um, think about us when you think about a joined up sort of um, food promotion strategy and regional strategy um, because beer exists alongside that. Um, p- help us with some money. 
you know, contribute. Um, but by far and away the biggest thing the Guild has done um, is we've created the NZL Trail. And so the NZL Trail is a um, website um, that you can use as a um, – not as an app, but you can download it to your phone with a you know click button homepage, and it provides all of our members with a location as where they are on a map in New Zealand, so that you can find them. And um, we've created some marketing channels to go alongside that, um, and that is allowing us to now make the case and and show to consumers. Um, that there are all these amazing breweries out there that they don't know of. Now, we haven't done – we're sort of in year two of it, so we had to build the technology. That's taken a bit of work um, and we haven't had a lot of money around promotion, but we're really sort of pushing into that space and that's the goal um, is to really showcase our our members and ideally all of the breweries in New Zealand are our members um, and showcase them on the NZL Trail. How much is because because wine, as you said, like yep. food and wine has always been a thing, and beer is a relative new concept. Uh, beer and food, yeah. But how much is the love and support that the wine industry gets because it's perceived as being an export earner as well, and Abs- there's money? Absolutely. So by far and away, the biggest problem that we've got is that um, New Zealand is an export-driven economy. Um, that's where the vast majority of our GDP comes from, um, and beer is not an export product we're a domestic product and so or a consume on site product um and so we just have i'm I'm sorry but i i I love hearing people say that because there is such so many people just naturally say oh well we should export our beer Um, uh, there are some some of our brands i mean i would say export between australia and new zealand is pretty well we're just the western islands yeah so we're that's pretty high and a lot of our um lot of our organizations now our mid-size um, export here there are opportunities to export um, but you've really got to know what you're doing and if COVID has shown us anything global supply chains are a challenge um, and so it's certainly not going to be the answer to all to all of your growth sins <laughs> as a as a craft beer strategy you know, if we think domestic, theoretically, that means there's a consumption, you know, there's a max on consumption. And so I think that's why there's um, less excitement from government on it. That being said, the reason we struck um, during COVID um, government by actually really pushing sort of on beer tourism was to make the argument that now is the time to tackle beer tourism because everybody's staying home and they're all travelling regionally. So now is our big opportunity to help you, government, understand that we can actually drive regional tourism as opposed to leverage off the back of it. And the other thing, like anything, any weakness is a strength and if you can't export beer and you don't have to export dollars, that means the only New Zealand beer experience that anyone's going to have is by coming to New Zealand. Absolutely. And, and we know, I mean... We combine that with, um, you know, our, our hops are world class and people want to come and hop selection is a thing. People want to buy that export product and, and same with our um, our malt. Um, we produce world class malt and people want that product. And so part of the reason they want that product is because they sample the end product, which is, you know, beautiful ingredients made with Kiwi ingenuity and love and they say, yeah, actually, we want to acquire those ourselves. So we are involved in that 
in that export market, maybe just not in the same way that government has really turned their mind to. That's, I mean, that's a really powerful argument because when you speak to, like, HPA in Australia, mm-hmm. the Australian hop industry was almost dead because hops had become a commodity product. They couldn't match. And it was the, you know, essentially hops like Galaxy and the growth of the craft brewing industry that meant that there was an Australian hop industry that is now establishing itself as a major exporter. And, you know, whilst the beer isn't exported, the things that, you know, it's it's, how many times you hear, you know, the space race gave us Velcro and Mm. Tang and all of these things, which aren't true apparently. But, you know, the the, the craft brewing industry gave is, is... creating value elsewhere that is exportable, as you say. Absolutely. And, I mean, I think about, um, you know, what ha- – um, so Garage Project and Freestyle Farms have, have um, Harpy Research, which is dedicated hops research, but what they've been able to do with the Harpy Symposium and the work that they're doing, um, Garage Project partnering with um, American breweries, but part of that relationship is built around – the New Zealand appreciation for American hops and West Coast hops and, you know, the traditional backbone, I guess, of craft brewing around the world and then the growing appreciation that there's been for New Zealand hops. And so, you know, people are brewing um, an NZ Pale using NZ exclusively NZ hops um, on the West Coast and East Coast of the States. So that's that's huge. Um, that says we know there's a quality product there. How do we sell tourism and get governments here and I'm, I'm minded um, on, a, on a travel story I did I think it was the Sapelt winery in South Australia we went there and they had the roads underneath where they once upon a time were the sellers I think carved through limestone or something they used to sell the champagne and then they had these little grottos that had iron gates and every Australian prime minister was invited there and given a seller to, to be his personal hmm. seller um, and I think the local state member and the local mayor yeah. And to me, that is just genius because everyone loves that little bit of wanky exclusivity. Yep. But then every time they go to visit their wine cellar and grab a bottle of wine, you get their ear and you yep. get that value. And, you know, it's probably grossly corrupt in a way, but it's very soft corruption as well. Well, I think, I mean, I'd make two comments about that. What I love about beer, um, craft beer, is that we are not wanky exclusivity. Mm. We are actually very accessible. And one of the things um, that I think we have been trying to do is make sure that tap room experiences are accessible. So don't just market to the beer geek. Don't, you know, have eight IPAs and double IPAs and, you know, make sure your tasting notes are visible, make sure they're accessible, make sure you have knowledgeable and skilled bar staff who are approachable. Um, and, and all of these things that say you're happy for someone to come into your tap room that is looking for a food and beverage or hospitality or tourism experience. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like you, you – it sounds like you're talking about hospitality 101. Yeah, you're talking hospitality 101. And then you can pitch them really cracking good beer. But, uh, you know, if we're not prepared to provide that tap room experience, that's really – what the tourism experience is about. And so you're not going to convert people to drink beer who wouldn't otherwise drink beer if you're not providing a great experience. And so I think about beer is it's almost the opposite with what we need to do with politicians. Um, It's that we're accessible. We're relatable. Part of what is so great about a taproom experience is often you're in a, particularly in small craft um, breweries, the brewer's out the back in in his gumboots. 
and, you know, somebody's serving at the bar and that guy's over there washing out the fermenter and it's real. Somebody's watching the product be made in real time and, you know, Joe's yelling out over to this person and and it just creates this environment where the customer feels like they're a part of something and it becomes their local. And we know that drink local during COVID was huge. And it was such a critical part to the survival of our small breweries, or all breweries, but particularly our small and local tap rooms. And when we had, after the first lockdown, it was sort of the first Friday, you could go in and buy your beer. There were lines around the corner because people missed their local brewery staff. They missed being able to like wave to the brewer and they missed being able to talk to the guy behind the bar or the girl behind the bar that they speak to every week. And so to me, I think it's about making the argument you did earlier um, beer is in every community. Brewing is in every community. We employ local. We make solid quality product. Um, and we are a reason for people to come and visit those regional areas. And, um, you know, we often support lots of local activities within the smaller communities. Um, and what's not to love about that? Mm. Does the Brewers Guild have support within the New Zealand government and, and apologies for not having a better understanding of uh, the mechanics of government in New Zealand but it's just a national government you don't have yes yeah, so we've got national government and then regional councils, regional councils yeah so um, so we're sort of missing a layer we don't have the state layer yeah. um, but do you have the ear of the national government on some level we do uh, but it's it's slow going as with everything um, you know, the flip side to being a smaller um, nation, so 220 breweries as opposed to the challenge that is coordinating here in New- in Australia, um, is we also have a much smaller government that is much um, with much less funding <laughs> to hand out. Yep. Um, so you, your fight for a dollar is, um, is a big fight. Um, as I said, during COVID, one of the things we did was actually really push our beer tourism. Uh, and I met with uh, one of one of our local MPs and he sort of was saying to me, oh, but wine, wine's got all these beautiful um, vineyards and you can sit out there. And I said, well, we've got great pictures too. They just look a bit different. Um, and so it is still that ongoing battle. Um, and definitely, and I think it's the same here in Australia and in New Zealand, anytime there is an article about overconsumption... It's always beer. There's a picture of yeah. beer. Now, those stats don't necessarily hold true anymore um, in terms of where some of our major overconsumption issues are, but it's always brown beer. And so there is this thing um, where people try to treat beer a little bit like it's not um, an expensive, um, high-class, exclusive product. It's somehow this, like, poor cousin and, and wine, notwithstanding how cheap you can buy it by the bottle, is somehow very fancy and beer is not. Um, and that's a perception issue that... But there are so many perception issues. And, and, I'm, and that's one of the things I'm critical of a lot of the newer brewers um, in, in a lot of ways who have established in a preformed industry. They weren't the... And I've got to be very careful because I'm just speaking in gross generalities. Yep. But in, in a very competitive market, they're almost perpetuating some of the worst stereotypes that mainstream lager once had um, because it's low-hanging fruit or it's easy marketing in, in, in a very crowded market. And I, I do remember that 20 years ago, the conversation of brewers was how do we change the perception yep. of beer, whereas the it seems to be in some craft beer circles, how do we make beer more, you know, 
down market than ever before. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I haven't seen that conversation in New Zealand and maybe that's just because I'm not looking for it um, and that the people that um, that I engage with are those that are trying to make interesting beers um, and they're trying to make those beers accessible. Um, but I just sort of, I don't know, it's so tough. I think that we are not going back to the stage of overconsumption. That's mm. not something we want. It's certainly not something we want at festivals, which is always the big challenge. But there are huge um, cultural changes that I wasn't even aware. Of. Like again, like I've got nineteen-year-old daughters, and yeah. um, some of the you know her friends um, drink and you know they go to party to get what. Yeah. But certainly, it was a different mindset and much lower percentage than I recall at 19 for example I think back to um I was a I was a perfect teenager and I never did anything wrong hi mum um (laughs) but um I I recall what we could get access to and what we paid for it and what we were consuming and the volumes we were consuming and I don't know if that's because the internet wasn't I mean I keep thinking about this evolution of technology and information coupled with you know we're sort of I'm just on the other side of that. The internet wasn't huge. And I do think there's a lot more information out there now and people are a lot, probably a lot more thoughtful. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that um, craft beer is not a cheap drink. Mm. And so um, to paint, you know, buying a pint at $13 is something that's about everybody getting shit-faced is not really um, a fair reflection on what the market is really doing. And it, well, it, it's funny because, it, it, again, going back to when I was first um, establishing beer tastings and lobbying government on, a, on an individual level, you know, going to see my local member or speaking to licensing and so saying, you know, but craft beer is different because it is expensive, it's more flavoursome, it's about the experience of consumption, not the experience of overconsumption. Mm-hmm. Um and then it was a couple of years ago at a, um, a, a at an awards. It was the first awards we'd ever had local state government. It was just after the craft beer industry, uh, um, you know, strategy was mm-hmm. was, and we had five members of parliament turn up. And at the awards, you had a bunch of young brewers who were very exuberant, but you know, doing shoeys on stage and inviting the minister up to shotgun a beer, and. You know, you don't want to be a wowser, but then there's the whole part of me that was thinking of all of the lobbying that had been done to change the perception of beer because quite often the business licensing issues and so many issues are anchored in the negative perception of beer that wine doesn't have, even though the reality is isn't there because you don't go to wine awards and see people necking a bottle of wine or anything like that. No, but you probably see, you know, several women carrying their shoes and struggling to get into a taxi. It's just not... That at, at a wine? At, oh, okay. That I, just I, doesn't I'm make the... Uh, I'm thinking that, of Melbourne Cup for that image. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but there you go. Um, look, it's really interesting. We um, So we run... The Brewers Guild runs the New Zealand Beer Awards and, and we struggle with that every year. You know, it's our big flagship event for the industry. Um, and what... I always think is that so many of these people work in hospitality or they work behind the bar and they work their butts off all year and they get one night where we're in yeah. a closed room as a, as a community where we're not going to be judgmental, you're not in front of customers, you're not in front of anyone else and you want to let your hair down and have a good time. And, yes, everything is a balance and so, you know, I come but back I to my... But just don't invite the, you know, the ministers who you're going to actually 
create a retrograde. It's it's definitely a balance. And certainly, I mean, last year, um, things got a little, last year, sorry, year before, things got a little bit rowdy. Um, And and our chairman got up on stage and said, um, tone it down. And so, you know, I just think there's this constant balance um, of how do we let our hair down and celebrate without perpetuating those um, those stereotypes? And equally, I think, um, from a Brewers Guild, part of the reason that we work is that we have people who are respected in the industry on our board, um, working together across um, sized breweries, across regions. And so it is a little bit of self-policing. It's not any one person coming in and say, behave like this or don't behave like this. No. It's as a collective... Um, we have res- people who are respected saying, might want to pull your head in there, mate. There, there are those moments. And I mean, we'd be lying if there wasn't that time that we all wake up regretting that what we've done the night <laughs> before because of overconsumption of a product. And that's always going to be in the background. But, you know, and I, I always remember that we're selling a product. When people get upset about Wowsers or Nanny State and things like that, the product that we sell has this unusual thing of the more we consume the worse our judgment becomes (laughs) you know it has inherent risks involved in it which is also one of its greatest attributes in small amounts and uh yeah again i don't know how we sort of got onto this but but i will say that i think what the market has done in response and what breweries have done in response to some of these questions is um and we're drinking one right now but um the rise of um sessionable beers and the rise of mid-strength beers and low alcohol beers and no alcohol beers in the last few years certainly it's been one of the largest growing segments of the market and that's because people want to enjoy beer drive sensibly they're conscious of it they're thinking about it they go i know i'm going to have three beers okay well i want to make sure they're 3.5 percent um you know and i do think some of that information is getting out there and people are still wanting to choose tasty beers in moderation in a way that they can be safe and and do these other activities. And I think the market has responded to that by producing some cracking mid-strength beers. As the executive director of uh, the Brewers Guild, if you had um, the resources, what would be your, you know, top three campaigns that you would work on? Sorry, this is complete spring, but, you know, what what are the biggest issues that you think a – national brewers yep. guild for brewers independence or Otherwise, however you want to do it should be looking at in the contemporary beer scene yeah so we've got um four sort of core areas of business for the brewers guild um and so one of them is you know producing the best beer awards um and conference so that's really inward looking and so i'll leave that one aside but the other three um are work, having a workforce strategy and we can sort of go into that beer quality and tourism. So beer tourism, we've talked a lot about. I think that is, um, and we think, and our members have um, supported us in saying that is something that needs support and that works for everyone. And we need a we need a collaborative strategy to really push that both with government but also to the consumer. And we need to be working together on that. And there needs to be some an entity pulling that together. And that's a role the Brewers Guild can play. We are not telling anybody. Um, what their taproom experience should be. We are not writing the stories for them, but what we are really doing is helping coordinate and highlight stories about beer experiences throughout New Zealand. So um, hashtag NZL Trail, um, encourage people to check that out. It's in its infancy, but we're really hoping that we can um, bring people to the beer. The second is beer quality. And I think that's, you know, really complex. (laughs) Um, And I think it 
sort of goes hands in hand with our workforce strategy challenge. So what we know um, is that to produce quality beer, we need to have, um, you know, the equipment, resources, testing, um, et cetera. As as, as an association, you should have that? No, as an an industry, industry. um, we need to have those things. Um, and we need to have a highly skilled workforce to support that. So right now in New Zealand, and I believe it's similar in Australia, that at the five-year-plus skilled brewer stage, we have a gap in the market. Um, so there are not enough highly skilled technical brewers to fill the roles that we have available. Um, so in New Zealand, we have an immigration challenge around that. We have a salary challenge around that. We have a, a pipeline challenge around that. So if you think about... Um, many smaller independent breweries. The head brewer is the owner-operator. Well, the head brewer is not moving on anytime soon, mm. which then doesn't create a place for someone um, to, from a succession planning perspective. They've got nowhere to go. And so um, we actually haven't been really developing our workforce um, as well as we could have been over the last 15 years. But what can the association do? Because it seems to be a lead the horse to water you can't make it drink sort of scenario where you can encourage, you can Absolutely. educate, you can stress the need for. Absolutely. But you can't ever actually do. Uh, no, we can't. But certain, I mean, so some of the things that we've been doing is working with the um, existing polytech and other polytechs to say what are the types of courses um, that we need to have available to support breweries um, and also encourage employers to recognise where they need to help upskill their staff. Um, we certainly can't. Um, we can ask for government funding. So by way of example, during COVID, the New Zealand government announced free um, tertiary training in a bunch of areas. And for some reason, beer, our beer courses were left off that list. Um, they are now on that list. So for this two years, um, anyone who wants to can go and get a um, TAFE qualified free brewing course. So what we can okay. do is promote that and support that. We are looking at all sorts of new ways of making sure that we're getting technical training um, in terms of short courses, online courses, etc. So we can facilitate talking to these institutions to actually find solutions that meet the needs of a small craft brewery that has no money and no time. Um, so that's sort of one whole area. Another area that we're pursuing and that I think would be great um, is that a lot of small breweries don't have the technical equipment to be able to undertake the testing necessary to make sure that the quality of their product is is sound. Um, but equally, they don't necessarily know that they need it. <laughs> so so how can what role can we play in terms of um, providing quality guides or platforms to help small breweries understand what they should be looking for and then where can they go to get that um, so that we're hitting hitting quality because what we're doing then is we're upskilling both our workforce um, and we're making sure that the quality of our beer remains high. So, you know, that that's another whole sort of space that we're in, which is what sort of guidance material can come out from an organisation like ours that helps someone, um, helps a small business figure out how they want to allocate their resources to make good quality beer. But it is very much um, we can provide the tools um, we can identify the issues. Uh, we can try and provide some of the solutions, but it's up to individual businesses how they want to respond to that. Um, and our job as the Brewers Guild is not to guarantee that every business that's a member of ours is the most successful brewing brand. That is still up to the individual businesses. We can sort of provide the framework to help them do that. 
We are in COVID, um, and New Zealand is relatively free. You're stuck over this side of the uh, of the ditch. Yeah. Um, once there, the, the travel bubble opens, what can New Ze- the New Zealand Brewers Guild offer Australian brewers who want to go over and visit? Because you've, you've got a conference. Yeah, so I think, I mean, um, check out the Ale Trail and come and drink beer <laughs> at our breweries. Um, I, what I, do I can't kn- wait for, for the bubble to open for that alone. What I do know, and I, I mean, I know it's different everywhere in, in – um, Australia, but you can see a lot of breweries in a short space of time, given the size of our country, as compared to Australia. And, and you know, an NZ Pale is just different to an Aussie Pale. Even a lot of our, um, you, there just seems to be a bit more malt in the way that we produce our beers. So there is this piece that says, I think there's a lot of variety on offer in New Zealand. Um, and so for Australian brewers, what a great opportunity to come and get, you know, Step out of your day-to-day life and come and get some new ideas. Look at things a bit differently and see what we're doing over the ditch. So that would be one pitch. Um, the second is that we are actually hoping to run, um, planning to, touch wood, run our um, conference and awards in on 17th of October this year. And a large, not a large portion, but a portion of our judges has been and ha- will always be um, Australian brewers and Australian um members of the brewing industry and I remember last year Ian Kingham told year before last told me that he had judged at every single beer awards that New Zealand had run in the last 15 years and so um, that's another opportunity to get involved. Excellent well look thank you very much I'm, I'm just very mindful of the time Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, because you may be spending a bit of time over here so I'm hoping that we'll be able to get you on uh, a couple of panel discussions and uh, you know dig deeper into some of these issues we've uh, touched on but Sabrina Kutz thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks for having me Matt and I look forward to uh, sampling some more Queensland beers here. And that was Sabrina Kunz. Sabrina is now the proud owner of one of our exclusive Yeti Rambler mugs that we give to guests of Beer as a Conversation. They seem to be quite the memento as we have had past guests get in touch to see if they can get one retrospectively. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryo Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryo Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and our premium podcasting partner and Cry Malt is a proud sponsor of this conversation and the Radio Brews News Channel.